Making it to Wednesday is a win in itself, and Dunkin' thinks you deserve a reward. That's why every Wednesday, now through December, Dunkin' Rewards members get a free donut with drink purchase. So whether you like your midweek pick-me-ups oozing with chocolate or filled with jelly, it's on us, because you deserve it. Save time and order ahead on the app with Dunkin' Rewards. Not a member? Join today. America runs on Dunkin'. Limit one classic donut per member per Wednesday. Terms and exclusions may apply. Participation may vary. Offer ends 12-27-2023. This is Max Hedrum. Our generation may not remember the moon landing, but we remember moon boots. If you owe a few cavities to candy cigarettes, learn your adverbs from schoolhouse rocks, burned your shins on a hot metal slide with sharp edges, exploding pop rocks for science, and you still want your MTV, then this podcast is for you. Dancing with Myself is dedicated to the decade of excess, the 1980s. So pull up your leg warmers and let's get physical. You're listening to Dancing With Myself. I'm Heather, and this is episode two. Today we can choose from thousands of songs with just a few taps of our finger. But when we were kids, we let Casey Kasem make the call. With his raspy, melodic tones and distinctively measured and family-friendly delivery, American Top 40 host Casey Kasem spoke volumes. American Top 40 was where it was at, right? We'd clear our preteen schedules, settle in by the boombox with a bag of bugles, and if you were lucky, you put them on your fingers and pretended that you were a witch. You were like, new set, who dis, right? <laughs> and get our weekly fix of songs like, I Love Rock and Roll and Come On Eileen. One of my favorite parts of the show was Casey Kasem's storytelling. He would spin these big yarns, right? He would tell all the stories behind the songs, and sometimes he would have guest appearances like, you know, Kim Wilde or Men Without Hats. Even grade schoolers got the poignancy of his heart-tugging, long-distance dedications. And they were usually about a lost love. Something like, Dear Casey... A few summers ago, I moved from San Diego, my lifelong home, to a small town in rural Idaho. Then the writer would wrap up with something like, Casey, could you please play a song by Air Supply for the love of my life? He would close every show with his trademark, keep your feet on the ground, and keep reaching for the stars. And damn it, if we didn't try to do just that. Casey was born in Detroit, Michigan on April 27, 1932, to Lebanese Druze immigrants. In the 1940s, Make Believe Ballroom reportedly inspired Casey to follow a career in radio. He received his first experience covering sports at Northwestern High School in Detroit. Then he attended Wayne State University, where he voiced children radio programs like The Lone Ranger and Challenge of the Yukon. In 1952, he was drafted into the U.S. Army and sent to Korea. There he worked as a DJ and announcer on the Armed Forces Radio Korea Network. 
Throughout the 1960s, Casey worked for various radio stations, and at the end of the 60s, he began working as a voice actor. In 1969, he started one of his most famous roles, being the voice of Shaggy on Scooby-Doo, Where Are You? He also voiced the drummer Groove from the Catanooga Cats that year. On July 4th of 1970, Casey launched the weekly radio program, American Top 40, also known as AT40. Now, at the time, Top 40 radio was on the decline, as DJs preferred to play album-oriented progressive rock. But Casey's show presented something different. He counted down from number 40 to number 1 based on the Billboard Hot 100 chart, He playfully mixed in biographical information and fun trivia facts about the artists, as well as flashbacks and those long-distance dedication segments, which we talked about earlier. Frequently, he mentioned a trivia fact about an unnamed singer before a commercial break, then provided the name of the singer after returning from the break. Initially, the show was only played on seven stations, but soon went nationwide. In October of 1978... American Top 40 expanded from three hours to four. The success spawned several imitators, including a weekly half-hour music video television show, America's Top 10, which was hosted by Casey Kasem himself. In 1988, Casey Kasem left American Top 40 because of a contract dispute with ABC Radio Network, and that is when he signed a five-year, $15 million contract with Westwood One and started Casey's Top 40. Casey Kasem passed away June 15th, 2014 at the age of 82. 1980s The Blues Brothers, one of the most expensive comedies ever made. It caught its stars John Belushi and Dan Aykroyd at the height of their Saturday Night Live-born television fame and its director John Landis near the height of his powers. It redefined how insanely good movie soundtracks could get and how insanely over-the-top car crashes could be. And like its titular musicians, it duly thumbed its nose at authority and did exactly as it pleased. Jake Blues, played by John Belushi, is released from prison, although we don't actually see his face until he shed his prison clothes for a suit and hat, backlit by the setting sun as if descended from heaven. He reunites with his adoptive brother, Elle Wood, played by Dan Aykroyd, and a scary nun, Kathleen Freeman, who gives them the task of raising $5,000 to pay back taxes on the orphanage where they grew up. So doing so will require putting on a charity concert, which requires getting the band back together, which involves a madcap journey all over Illinois. In pursuit of their mission, they commit felonies, they play country music, and receive divine inspiration overseen by James Brown as a fiery preacher. Angry country musicians, seemingly every car in Illinois law enforcement community, and of course some Illinois Nazis, which seemed like a nonsensical concept in 1980, pursue the Blues Brothers. Aykroyd and Belushi had performed the Blues Brothers as cast members on Saturday Night Live, so they honed their shtick and knew what the characters needed to work. The plot was a little trickier. Aykroyd's initial script was far too long. He had never written one before and wrote a novel, basically, including character backstory and other unnecessary details. And director John Landis had to significantly redraft it with only weeks to go. 
Filming began without an approved budget, but that was okay because Landis and his stars blew past the budget without pausing. John Belushi died of a drug overdose in 1982, and he was partying hard at this stage in his career, which added a lot of delays and difficulties to the work. And Landis faced steady studio criticism over his choice of cast and the extravagant stunt requirements. He crashed 103 cars for the outrageous final chase scene, a record that wasn't broken until 1998's a sequel, The Blues Brothers 2000, which trashed 104 cars. The production closed downtown Chicago and the Daily Center for the finale at a cost of then $3.5 million, which was considered astronomical. In one of the funniest depictions of the wild police overreaction ever put on film, use of excessive force has been approved, announces one radio police operator. 500 extras dressed up as cops, National Guardsmen, firefighters, and the FBI all storm the city. This, of course, is a movie about soul music led by two white guys and directed by another. But they're clearly also music aficionados gazing adoringly at their cameoing musical legends and letting them take center stage. I mean, to his credit, Landis had to fight to include every one of them against a studio that saw them as has-beens and wanted younger, bigger names, and his fight paid off. The film gave Aretha Franklin, Ray Charles, John Lee Hooker, and James Brown a chance to sing on the big screen and introduced Cotton Club legend Cab Calloway to a new and younger audience, reviving the careers of every one of them. The stunts are spectacular. We have an open bridge leap to that final all-car pileup. The beautiful Helen of Troy may have launched a thousand ships, but Jake and Elwood managed about the same number of Cadillacs and Chevys, and neither is a looker. And it's a great film for cameos. We've got Frank Oz and Steven Spielberg appearing as minor functionaries, while Carrie Fisher, who was Dan Aykroyd's girlfriend at the time, was a hilarious recurring role as Jake's vengeful ex-fiance. And of course, through it all, Jake and Elle would sail by largely unfazed by what's happening around them. During a wildly destructive chase through a mall, they casually comment on the stores they have recently opened, and they don't even bother mentioning it when the Illinois Nazis start shooting at them. The film ends with the entire band in prison performing, well, what else? Jailhouse Rock and sparking a prison riot. Even there, the power of soul music can't be contained. No matter how many armed guards are thrown at them, you just can't stop the Blues Brothers. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Dancing With Myself. Remember, the podcast drops on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. There are giants among us. They are the men and women building and sustaining our Navy's next generation submarines. If you're ready to go big, get on board. We build giants at buildsubmarines.com.